When a data breach occurs, who's best suited to coordinate the investigation? And what critical tasks must an organization initiate and monitor in the hours and days immediately following a breach? Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. I'm here today with Chris Novak, a member of Verizon's investigative response team, who talks about breach investigation management from forensics and expert witnesses to everything in between. Chris, data breaches are posing increasing challenges for organizations that fall across a number of industries as well as sectors. In fact, according to Verizon's newest data breach investigations report, 2011 saw 850 breaches across 174 million stolen records, the second highest data loss that the Verizon risk team has seen since it began collecting data in 2004. Can you give us a quick backgrounder about today's current environment and why numerous industries are seeing upticks in breaches? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, we, we've seen a dramatic uptick over the last year, not just in the, the number of breach investigations, but also in the number of compromised records. And I think the, the breadth of what we're seeing across all these industries is also the result of, kind of a, a new role that hacktivism is playing in the cyber realm, if you will. We've all heard of hacktivism in the past, um, but it's never been quite as pronounced as the data is really showing us from this year's report. It tells us that it's not all about the money like it used to be. I mean, We'll, we're always going to see your typical financial situations, your smash and grabs. Uh, but to give you an idea, 58% of the 174 million compromised records that you mentioned um, were actually the result of hacktivism, which I think will surprise a lot of folks. You know, they hear about it in a lot of different things throughout the media and the role that hacktivism has played in social and political environments. But when you start to see kind of the, uh, the way that it impacted from a data breach, data privacy perspective, I think that that is quite substantial. And when the motivation moves away from being purely financial, that can really broaden the scope of potential future victims. You know, a lot of organizations tend to look at themselves kind of internally and say, well, why would someone come after me? I either do or don't have a certain type of data that they may want. But now when you get into the mind of the hacktivist, you say, well, you know what? In many cases, it's not that I want to get something from that organization or from that person that traditionally I would go out and try to sell for money. It's I want to damage a reputation or a brand or I want to cause them harm, but not necessarily looking for direct financial gain myself. And that change in motivation uh, causes a lot of struggles for organizations to figure out where they may fall in that potential victim arena. Yeah, that's a good point, Chris. And cybersecurity, of course, across the board is a growing concern. Now, when it comes to breaches, most of the breaches, of course, can be traced back to some sort of cyber attack hack or maybe even an internal system hiccup or oversight. Why have organizations not been able to keep up with today's complex data management environment? I think one of the biggest things that we note uh, as related to this during our investigations is that many organizations really just struggle with understanding the picture data problem. They generally know what data they have, but they don't necessarily know where they have it and how it's being handled. You know, without something as basic as an inventory, a data flow map, retention guidelines, you're always going to be challenged with how are you going to secure that underlying data. And I think everybody realizes it's all about the data. Um, and so if you don't really have a good handle on that, you're really going to be in an awkward position of, well, if I were to, if I were to just contemplate what a breach might look like, I really can't get a good feeling for what that picture is. If I were to actually be in the midst of a breach, do I even know where to look? A lot of times we get involved with investigations and, you know, organizations will tell us right from the get-go, we believe X data is at risk because we've seen this on the internet or someone has told us they've heard of something. 
Um, and so then the next question we'll ask is, well, where did this data live in your environment? And you kind of see this this blank stare on a lot of people's faces in the room, kind of a, hmm, I think it's on this server, or I think it's located in that data center, but this data could be in any number of a different a number of different places throughout the country or throughout the world. And so that creates a huge problem with just trying to track down where the potential breach or leakage may be. So again, it really kind of comes down to a lot of organizations just don't understand where their data is and, and what they're doing with it. And then what about the response after a breach? How well are most industries and organizations doing when it comes to breach response? And I guess I'm getting at the fact, Chris, that we don't really have any uniform laws in place to outline strategic steps that organizations must take. And so most organizations, of course, have developed their own policies and procedures. Sure. I'd say that this is a really variable area. Um, I also think many people actually tend to think that everyone is doing better than they actually are. If you, if you look at our data breach report, particularly the section regarding the incident timeline, and this is something that's been, I think, very fascinating over the last several years, but again, it's uh, popping out in this report, you'll notice that many of those timeline characteristics are in the weeks, months, or even longer time periods. And what that tells us is many organizations are really poorly prepared for a breach um, or their level of preparedness doesn't necessarily correspond with their actual kind of uh, risk profile or what could happen. I tell folks all the time that, you know, I see large breaches that are handled really well and the damage or the, the brand reputation impact can be very minimal if it's handled properly. And then I've seen relatively small breaches that I say, wow, this should have little to no impact or consequence on an organization, but because of the poor way in which it was handled, it ends up being almost magnified by their poor response plan or, or even just a lack thereof. I think that that's a big piece of it. I think that also you have the element of when you have laws, regulations, and guidelines that forces organizations to go down a particular road. Um, but what we also sometimes see is organizations struggle with trying to make it really applicable to their real-world scenario as opposed to really just applicable to, say, a particular compliance or regulatory standard. Now, in the hours and days following the discovery of a breach, what entity, Chris, would you say is best suited to coordinate an investigation? This may sound peculiar coming from someone like myself. The best suited is actually probably the victim organization themselves. They, quote, should be. I say that kind of with air quotes. But the reason I say it that way is because it's a bit cliche, but nobody knows you better than you know yourself. And when we go into investigations of organizations, you know, some organizations kind of have this thought that, we're going to come in all-knowing, all-being, and they don't need to explain anything about their environment to us. We'll just magically figure it out. Now, I'd, I'd love to be able to say I can take credit for that type of work and that we can just kind of assume all that knowledge, but the fact of the matter is it's a cooperative effort. We work with the organization to understand how they operate, and then we use the experience that we have, the investigative tools and methodology, to then kind of dig into what might have occurred and, and help them figure it out. Um, but the reason why I say organizations generally are the best place to start is because, you know, when we talk with a lot of organizations throughout the course of an investigation, you really, you know, it takes a little bit of poking and prodding, but eventually you get to this point where someone will finally start to say, you know what, I think we might have had a problem over here or we might have had a problem over there. That really goes a long way from an investigative standpoint because it gives us leads, places to start from, places where you might feel as a weak spot or a soft spot in your security where, yes, from an investigative standpoint, we could do some discovery across the environment and probably find the same thing, but without any kind of lead information, we're essentially doing a very broad stroke to try and assess, you know, where those vulnerabilities may exist. And so as a result, that's going to take more time.
the next piece of that that I would say is if an organization is not well prepared internally, they don't have, say, the capabilities to do it themselves, then I say, you know what? At that point, you go to the experts, you get somebody from the outside, and you bring them in to help you with it. Um, because if you don't have your own internal first responder capability, you don't want to take a chance of making a mistake, especially in something that may be very critical to the business. And then, Chris, what about determining when you should hire an outside forensics expert? What's the best way for an organization to determine that? You need to start with assessing your own capabilities. In general, when I speak with organizations, most of them, I think, actually have a fairly good understanding of what their own capabilities are. And that may range from we know we have nothing and we understand that and we need your help to we have some capabilities, but we know we can't do anything and we don't maybe have an intention to do everything, but we need your help to fill in the gaps. And then there are other organizations that may say, you know what, we can do everything on our own. But every now and then we have more than we can handle and we need someone that can maybe work with us from an overflow perspective. Now, we work with organizations of all different shapes and sizes. So I think the first thing an organization needs to do is assess what their capabilities are, and then what I always recommend is, you know, work up an incident classification matrix, something very simple that says these are the different types of scenarios that we could anticipate having happen. And based on the different levels or severity of those different classifications, we would either handle it internally with our own team or we would go to an outside organization to, to bring in experts to assist us or maybe a combination of the two. Um, we also see that a lot, too, for organizations that may be, for example, this is a big challenge, multinational organizations where they may say, look, we have got a fantastic capability in, say, the U.S. market, but their capability may be more limited abroad, um, or they may have other issues that they have to deal with from data privacy uh, type of issues. And so it's easier for them to partner with organizations in other geographies to make sure that they've got that same level of coverage. And then what about some of the legal ramifications that organizations should consider? And might some of those ramifications vary from one industry to another? Absolutely. There's a lot to be considered there, um, particularly in your highly regulated industries, financial, energy, defense, any organization that falls into categories like that, as, as well as many others. There's a, a large number of, of different considerations that need to come into play with respect to that. What I always recommend to folks is, look, if you're considering these different areas, start talking with your internal general counsel. Um, if you don't have general counsel that specializes in things like data privacy, legislation, and what your maybe notification or disclosure requirements may be, then look to some outside counsel for additional support. There's plenty of organizations that specialize in understanding that. I will tell you that it varies on a uh, on a locality basis almost. Um, you know, we work in pretty much every state, every country you can think of, and as a result of that, you've got to deal with the legalities in all those different places, the notification, disclosure, requirements, limits, thresholds, um, who you need to notify from either a law enforcement or maybe an attorney general perspective very significantly. Um, and so understanding what all that means and how to interpret that are, are very critical. Um, so I always advise folks, you know, talk to your internal counsel and if, uh, if need be, um, engage outside counsel. If you have a trusted forensic partner on retainer, there's always the possibility that they may be able to provide you some guidance, law firms that they may be able to uh, recommend having been used in the past. And talking about some of those um, critical elements, Chris, I did want to ask, what would you say are the top five to ten items initiated and monitored in the wake of a data breach? So there's a number of different things that need to be kind of initiated and monitored. The first kind of critical elements there are, you know, when you, you've got to make sure that you're preserving information, you know, your log data, your event details, things like that that are going to help you to be able to go back historically and understand what happened. 
a lot of organizations that something that they struggle with is preserving that data, preserving the systems, understanding, okay, if you have that incident classification matrix that I mentioned, okay, well, where does this fall in that? Are you handling it yourself or are you going to an outside party? If so, you need to make the calls. You need to figure that out right away. You need to understand, are you going to pursue something like prosecution or are you going to protect your own environment first? And depending on that, you may choose, you know what, we need to say, pull the system off the network and start quarantining parts of our environment to contain the damage. Or maybe you decide to go down the road of, you know what, let's leave it open in some minimalist fashion so that maybe we can get more data on what the perpetrator is doing and eventually lead to prosecution. Um, another important piece there is, you know, how are you going to involve law enforcement if you choose to involve law enforcement, depending on the nature of it? Um, and as a result of that, there may be other third parties or even different actions that you may take, both from a business standpoint or a technical element standpoint, that could factor into those response steps. Um, and then making sure that you've got all your appropriate, you know, chain of custody and evidence handling procedures in place to make sure that nothing gets spoiled in the process. Because a lot of times what we find is the initial stages of the incident response are usually, as you would probably imagine, the most hectic, but also the most critical. You want to make sure that you're doing things right and not necessarily just doing things quickly um, because later on, you know, we see this all the time. Organizations will come to us and say, look, we're not interested in prosecuting. We just need to get this situation fixed. Well, then lo and behold, a week or two later, we're getting into the thick of the analysis and all of a sudden we find some really juicy information that might lead to a very successful prosecution. But because of some missteps that that organization took earlier on with, say, the handling of evidence or otherwise, that information might not be really useful in court or, or could be thrown out quite easily as a result of that. It's important to have those elements kind of all falling into place. You know, that's a great point that you make, Chris. And actually, it kind of is a nice segue to the final question that I wanted to ask. And that was, what lessons can others learn from recent breach investigations that we've seen? What missteps or mishaps are most common? I think probably one of the biggest things that organizations fail to do is they don't look for the breach. And what I mean by that is, you know, we get pulled into a lot of investigations and a lot of the details of what happened are right there in the organization's own environment. Usually they're right there in the logs. And quite often they, they pop out quite easily. In fact, if you look at some of the details in the data breach report, you'll see that roughly 96% of all of these data breaches were what we considered to be not very sophisticated or advanced. And so there's oftentimes a significant or wealth of evidence that's left behind. And, and when I say that they're not looking for the breaches, what I mean is if they were just looking through some of this log data, doing more correlation of their events, they'd be able to stop something that may be a 100 million record breach. They might be able to stop that at the point where it's two records, three records, you know, I don't want to tell anybody or lead anybody to believe that if you do everything right, you'll never have a breach. But I think to some degree, doing everything right means that any security incidents you have, you may be able to contain and mitigate before they get to that point of the sensitive data is walking out the door. You identified the bad guy, you stopped him, you cut it off, you remediated that vulnerability that he or she exploited, and now you can go back to your business and hopefully you didn't have to make a notification or disclosure. And the big thing that organizations can learn from it is that if they looked at it, they'd see a lot more than I think they expect. Chris, I want to thank you for your time today. My pleasure. Again, we've just heard from Chris Novak of Verizon. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.